<sighs> Open your Bibles, please, to Psalms chapter 29. Got some really good stuff that I believe the Lord's put on my heart this morning that uh, I hope uh, we can get out. Uh, whenever I move down to the table here in the front in a minute, uh, it may uh, be a little bit awkward, but let, just I ask you to bear with me and to listen close. While you're turning there, I want to introduce you to a little guy who is going to help me launch our next series that I'm calling Here I Am to Worship. The young man's name is Ryan, and he uh, loves, I mean loves, playing Superman. He actually believes he is Superman, and he's four. It begins when he wakes up in the morning. It ends when he goes to bed. And in everything in between, I'm telling you, he is Superman. When his feet hit the floor and he puts on that bath towel cape, it does not matter what color it is, all of a sudden it becomes the famous red and blue and it is off to eat a cereal. And it is off to watch Spongebob Squarepants. And it is off to leap tall cats in a single bound. And it is off to Caleb's house to play and on and on and on. Nap. He doesn't really understand why Superman has to take a nap, all right? Nap, food, prayers. He is Superman all day long. And one day he went with his mom to his pre-kinder class. He was getting ready to register for his new school. The teacher asked him what his name was. <laughs> Superman. <laughs> she chuckled. She saw the, you know, the little bath towel cape. And she said, no, 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 really, for our records, I'm, I'm going to need your real name. He said, Superman. He said, no, no, I, I urge you. I really urge you. But, but for our records, I'm really going to need your name. When the little boy knew that his time was, was up, to, he had going to have to shoot straight here. So he looked around, leaned in kind of close, and he said, Clark Kent. <laughs> I love that story. Ryan may be only four, but he's already finding out that you are what you worship. And that's true of children of all ages. Amen. We are what we worship. And I would venture to guess that before we look at one Bible verse or study one Hebrew or Greek word in regards to worship, you already probably have a pretty good idea and understanding of what worship is. Those of you who've sat at the feet of Greg for the last 16 years, I know do. If you've sat in Frank Greer's class in the last two months, I know you do. You know that to worship someone or something in your life means to, to give that someone or something ultimate significance. And whatever it is, it will dominate your thoughts. It will dictate how you spend your money. It will dictate where you spend your time. Whatever that is that you worship, you put things on the calendar for it, and everything else orbits around it. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your morals, your joy. It gives you joy like nothing else. It is your identity like nothing else, because if this wasn't in your life, you're not quite sure what your life would be. You are what you worship. And I don't have any idea what that is for you. However... This is a gathering of people who have come together to celebrate collectively. God, we want that to be you. We place you on the highest place. We stand in awe of you. Now, I know sometimes when we come, that doesn't happen very easily. 
Sometimes when we come, it, it reminds us that that should be true of God. Sometimes it's, it's to teach our kids that we hope that one day you'll, you'll do that with God. But when given a choice about who and what we will worship, we have said at the Kerrville Church of Christ, we will worship you, God. Now for the man that we know as King David, who wrote most of the Psalms, which is the church's early songbook, when he writes those songs, most of the time he's stating for himself and he is encouraging anyone who will sing along with him. Ascribe ultimate glory to God. Because David believed you are what you worship. Here's what he says in Psalms 29. Ascribe to the Lord, you sons of God. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks into the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Chiron like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh, I'm telling you. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry what, church? Glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. And the Lord blesses his people with peace. And that's why we have come to worship him. Would you bow with me? We have come to worship you, Lord. To lift your name on high. Truly, God, we stand in awe of you. We place you on the highest place. Now we know we're not the only disciples endeavoring to do that. We lift up this morning the Barnett Chapel Methodist Church. And any and all who are disciples there, we beg you, help us together as one body all over the world today to mean it when we say we place you on the highest place. Forgive us when that walk of our lives doesn't match the talk of our services. We are asking you to renew in us again what it means to truly worship and worship you. Because, Father, we believe that we are what we worship. And we ask us humbly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, There are two words that David used in that song, number 29. His spirit song to his people. The first word's a scribe. <laughs> I doubt if many of you used that one in a conversation this week. That if many of you texted a scribe on your phones this week. The only time that I used it was when I was rehearsing in my office a few hours ago. It's not a word that we use much. It's a Hebrew word that's really hard to define with just one word in the English language. It actually, because it's an action word, takes a couple. For us it means decide to give honor to or to acknowledge, or to recognize in some way. But rather than try to just give you a definition, let me give you an illustration. 
Since this is uh, the beginning of training camp week for the NFL, if you don't mind, ladies, I'm going to use a football analogy. Imagine if Seabeck uh, and I and some of the guys are sitting around and uh, we're having lunch, and Seabeck says, you know, sportsmen, we ought to challenge the Baptist church to a football game. Why don't we say we raise some money with all the tickets that we sell and the, and the drinks that we sell for big brothers, big sisters. That'd be a great thing to do for them, wouldn't you think? And I said, well, yeah, that'd be great. And so we start selecting our team. We got Scott to be on the line. You see Scott, right? Get maybe Chris Arns, Chad Arns, maybe Zachary. We might let Seabeck play quarterback. He's got a pretty good arm still. Get a little old, but he's still got the arm. Stan Whittle, I hear he's got a pretty good arm. Uh, I saw that new guy, Ty. I bet he's good on the wide out. Rick Sorala, all right? I'm starting to put our team together here, but we'd let anybody play. Teens, girls, if my daughter Tabitha's in town for sure, we're getting Tabitha on the team. Anybody gets to play. For the brains of the bunch, we're going to ask Frank Greer. Maybe Greg Cummings. Because the bunch I just listed is big on muscle and speed, but not much on brains. <laughs> but they're going to be the coach. They're going to call the play. So we open it up to anybody, everybody wants it. It's going to have a, a good time. But trust me, since we're playing the Baptists, we're playing to win. It's game on. Now just imagine, all right, stay with me here. It's the week before the game. It's October because there's no way we're playing in August and September. So it's the latter part of October, and we're getting ready to play the game. And the week before the game, guess who places membership at KCC? Peyton Manning. <laughs> Professional quarterback, Super Bowl quarterback, million-dollar quarterback. Or maybe it was Aaron Rodgers. Or maybe it's Tony. No, no never mind him. Peyton Manning, let's stay with Peyton Manning because you'll go with that one. Million-dollar contract, Super Bowl quarterback. He places membership at KCC, thank you, God, the week before the big game. And I know it's just a little pickup game to raise some funds, but we're playing this thing to win. And so when it comes time to select who's going to be quarterback, sorry, Seabeck, sorry, Whittle, we're handing the football and the clipboard to Peyton Manning. We're not going to play one potato, two potato. We're not drawing. No. This is Super Bowl quarterback, professional, million-dollar contract. Mucho talent. And there's no question who we're going to decide is deserving of. Who should be given? Who should be ascribed? Glory. Glory. Now, that's another word that we don't use very much. If you used it at all this week, probably it was used in singing a hymn or some spiritual song. Maybe in a Bible study. But there's a pretty good chance that probably nobody used the word glory. Less so about ascribe, but probably glory. Most often, this word is connected with God in Scripture almost every time that it's used. David's song says God's voice is like a storm. And when that storm produces lightning and thunder. It is unbelievable what happens. But when the calm comes, all the people use one word, and you said it a moment ago. What was it? Glory. They cry out, glory, to this incredible God. Now, let me just pause back here. Before the days of OMG became popular, for those of you who don't text much or don't probably say this much, OMG stands for Oh My God. Before the day that that became something that was popular amongst the peoples to use, you need to know this. The Hebrews would never use something so flippantly 
as OMG. They thought way too highly of even the word God. That if they were to write it, they would have to go take a ceremonial bath just to write it on some papyri for scripture. However, it really wasn't a sacred word. God is, but not the word glory. The word glory is not a holy word. The word glory is not just a church word. The word glory wasn't even a synagogue word. It was something that was important to the people. When something like anything else showed up, they would use the word glory. It's actually the Hebrew word kavod. Say the word kavod. Kavod. Now you're speaking Hebrew. Here we go. Now, it means literally weighty. Now stay with me here. This is going to park somewhere. and It's going to have some meaning here. But the word glory means weighty. So when we ascribe to God glory, we are saying he has ultimate substance. He is unlike any other. He has ultimate glory. He has ultimate kavod. Now if that's still not connecting with you, how many hippies do we have here? Ex-hippies. You may have used the word back in the 60s that that you didn't even know was about glory. Remember back when the words like cool man and peace and groovy were being used? Some of you may have, have encountered something or someone and you said, whoa, dude, that's heavy. <laughs> heavy. Now, you didn't know you were talking about kavod or, or glory, but that's actually what the word means when something is heavy. So when the writers of Scripture declare that all glory belongs to God, the Scriptures are teaching us this, that He is weightier than everything. He is ultimate reality. He is more important. He is more powerful than anything else, regardless of what that thing is. Now, do I have a... Here we go. Now, for those of you who are visual learners more so than you are audible learners let me see if I can do this because I really want you to get this idea of the weightiness of God now if we're going to say that something that is has more glory has more weight what on here has more glory the paper the bucket filled with water or the bowling ball this is a test what has more glory the bowling ball does if we're going to say glory has It it describes substance and weightiness and and density. Not much, a little bit more, ultimate glory, right? Are we with that? So we would say that this paper has less glory than the bowling ball, right? We would say that this paper probably has less glory than the water, right? We would say that the bowling ball probably has the most glory in reference to the water right now if God is the weightiest thing in our lives and God is like this bowling ball he is to be ascribed ultimate glory in all the earth when this person when this substance moves into anything it's going to have an impact may have lesser may have more let's say for instance that this water here is us if God is just a concept in our minds not a reality 
that's not going to have very much glory. It's not going to have that much impact in our lives. But I'm telling you, if God is reality and the water is us, when this reality hits this water, I'm not going to do that. It's a communion table. I'd go to hell for that. But when this reality hits this reality, it changes everything, wouldn't it? It would rearrange everything in that reality. Now, here's a question. If God is our reality, wouldn't you notice, compared to someone who says, no, he's not my reality. He's not my ultimate reality. But if this group of people who just sang a few moments ago, we place you on the highest place, we stand in awe of you, really believe that he is reality and not a concept, wouldn't that make a difference when that reality is in our lives? Then why doesn't that happen more? Why does there seem to be less and less a difference in what takes place in our lives when God is the ultimate reality and what's taking place in someone else's life and where he's, which he's not. Let me, let me help with this. I think it's because for many of us, we may say God's ultimate reality, but what he actually is is concept. And he's not so much maybe the paper. He's actually this. That's what God really is, because he really is a concept. And you know what you can do with a concept? You can wrap that concept around just about anything you want. You can mold it. You can shape it. Because in this instance, I have more glory than God does. I have more weightiness than he does. I control him, not him controlling me. I can take and I can mold and I can shape and I can fit him into anything that I want because I have more weight. I have more substance. I have more glory. And God really is a concept, not reality. And if God is a concept, I need to tell you that may work for you. But it will not rearrange your life. It will not mold and shape your life after God. It will mold and shape your life after what you truly worship. Because you are what you worship. Most of us, I think, in this room would say, but Jimmy, I'm telling you, God is a reality in my life. He's not just a concept. I would never say that God is just a concept for me. And yet we tip our hands, and that's not true, when we read the Bible and say, well, God may tell me that I need to forgive him, but I can't. There's no way I could forgive him for what he's done. I know he'd like for me to keep myself sexually pure until I'm married, but hey, boys are going to be boys. I know that he says use my words to build up and encourage, not to tear down and embarrass. I know he says that, but we're just kidding. I know that I promise for better or for worse. I know that I promised covenant forever till death do us part. But Jimmy, you don't know the worst. We can read for ourselves that he's called his followers to be holy, holy, 
holy as he is. And yet we will choose what we will be holy in and what we won't thank you. And we will sing, we will glorify the King of kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of lords. Who is the great I am? But he's not the great I am. I am. And I will mold and shape and form him to my life, not the other way around. And that's why David reminds us, oh, you don't want to do that. No, church, you want to ascribe to God ultimate weightiness. You want to ascribe to God ultimate. You do not want to settle on God as a concept. You want God to be ultimate reality. Timothy Keller, who preaches for a great church in Manhattan, tells this story. He said in July 1970, one of his Bible teachers gave an illustration that changed his life totally. She said, at the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 93 million miles, was the distance between two sheets of paper. Now, track with me here. If the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 93 miles, was the distance between these two sheets of paper. You know how far it is to the nearest star? That stack of paper would be 70 feet high. The diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of paper if that distance was 93 million miles between those two sheets of paper, 310 miles wide. That's our galaxy. And she said, but that galaxy is nothing but a speck of dust in the universe. And the Bible says Jesus holds that universe in his hand. Now, question class, is that the kind of person you ask to be your assistant in life? She said, I want you to walk around in silence for an hour. And I want you to think about the implications of that for your life. And Timothy Keller says, up until that point, I wanted God to be available to me, not Lord over me. But I began during that talk and that hour's walk to sense God as reality in my life and not just a concept. The glory and weightiness of who he is fell on me. And I was not saved. How could you be? (laughs) How could you be? If you walked into this room this morning to get a little bit of church, I'm telling you, you didn't come here to worship. You came in here to get a little church. Check something off a list. When we sang those songs a few moments ago, I stand in awe of you. Did you mean that? Were you messing with your cell phone? Were you, were, you, were you messing with some paper, getting a piece of gum? In a moment, we're going to sing the song, Here I Am to Worship. Light of the world that stepped out of darkness into my life. Here I am to worship. How are you going to sing that? If God's a concept, I know how you're going to sing that. If God's a reality, I know how you're going to sing that. Because you are what you're worshiping. 
That's why David says, oh, be careful then what you ascribe weightiness to and substance to and significance to. Actually, you can't hide it. When God is a concept and not a reality, how we spend our money doesn't change. I've already decided how I'm going to spend my money. Thank you. God does not get consulted for that. He is only requested for more. When God is a concept and not a reality, my giving doesn't change. No, I want to find me a couple of scriptures in that Bible that I can feel good about, that I can mold and shape to my life. And you know the one I like, that cheerful giver one. I love that one. Because you know, I can pay $125 a month for my cell phone bill and I can give God a dollar cheerfully. I can do that and love it. When God is a concept and not a reality, what we teach our kids doesn't change. If it was good enough for me, baby, it's good enough for them. How we treat our spouse doesn't change. Love my wife as Christ loved the church? Come on. How I dress doesn't change. No way. This is my body. These are my parts. And if I want to show any of them off, that's my business. God can mess with somebody else's clothes. This is my wardrobe, not his. When God is a concept and not a reality, my home Open it up for a Bible study, something spiritual. Oh, in that scripture, have somebody over who could never have me over? Yeah, right. Come on. We do those spiritual things up at the church building. That's what we're paying for. But my home, not when God's a concept. I have more glory than he does. And what I really want is an assistant. Not a Lord. Church, I'm telling you, when you see him, I mean see him, as the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, when you see that glory, when you see in his book the plan he has for including you in his incredible adventure story, when you see Jesus in that person who cannot feed themselves for the moment or who cannot help get themselves out of their addiction for the moment, when you see Jesus and the glory that's actually in them in that moment, I am telling you, it changes you. It can help but rearrange you. And you will worship. You will worship. And when we are worshiping, we will be changed. And even if someone comes in who's just kind of putting their foot in the water, 1 Corinthians says, they will fall down on their face and they will worship with us. Now, let me ask you a question. Do we have any growing to do in our worship here? You think? You think? I do. You know what sometimes is my glory, my weightiness? It's one of these that I'm doing right now. So much so that when I come in here on Sunday morning, I don't worship very well. I don't. I've got too much of this weightiness in my life. I didn't sing I stand in awe of you very well a while ago. I didn't sing we place you in the highest place very well. Matter of fact, I may have even got in here late because I was working on this. And I think before we ever talk really about how we worship and the forms and the methods and stuff, we got to start with who are we worshiping? Who has the weightiness and the substance 
and the glory of our lives. It's important that we get this right now. Yes, for the people that I hope that we reach, by God's grace that we reach, through even this avenue here. But folks, I don't know when heaven's coming. It could be any minute. And I want to be ready. Because let me tell you, you will be ushered into His presence. And worship will not be a choice. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will pour out, Oh, my God! God! And I want that to be with full of joy and wonder and oh, oh my, yes, incredible. Not, oh no. Are you kidding me? The day is coming. When what Moses saw on Mount Sinai, when what the priests said they saw when the Lord came down and filled the tabernacle in the temple, the day is coming when we will proclaim what the star-struck angels proclaimed to some lonely shepherds in a Bethlehem pasture. The day is coming when we will proclaim what Jesus radiates, what John witnessed on the island of Patmos, what Peter witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Christ will be enthroned with it. Heaven will be beaming with it. And it is one and one thing only. The unprecedented, unchallenged, unlike any other glory of the living God. One day soon. And I want to be ready. Therefore, we don't lose heart. But though our outer nature is waiting, wasting away, I agree with Paul, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For the momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory that's far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen, they're just temporary. But the things that are not seen, they're forever. They're eternal. Sister, please take courage. I know it may be incredibly dark right now. I don't want to undermine any of that. I know you have broken things in your life. I know that there's painful things, but listen to me. Compared to the weight of glory that we're going to receive, they will seem like nothing. When God is a reality and not a concept, when He is a reality and we ascribe Him the glory that's due Him, the temporary things won't matter much. The houses and the cars and the clothes. Who I'm dating. My identity will be found in God. When God is a reality and not a concept, we will long to see Him face to face. Not fear seeing Him face to face. To know Him as He actually is. Here's some words that I, I'm just sad to say only get read very often at funerals. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength in the not too distant future. And it will be here quicker than we can ever think. Dr. D.A. Criswell, as I close, a longtime president of the Baptist Convention was flying home 
and he was meeting some friends, he thought on the plane. But his seating got adjusted. And he sat down next to a professor who was a Christian who seemed to be troubled. Mr. Criswell said, I can tell something's bothering you. Do you want to talk about it? He was a Christian man who had lost his son to a terrible illness. The boy had been at preschool and had been sent home one day, coming down with a fever. The parents assumed it was just another little cold or flu. But through the evening, the boy got worse. So they took him off to the hospital, and after running some tests, the doctors came, and they gave the parents the worst possible news. The boy had somehow contracted meningitis. And it had progressed already beyond the point they could help. The doctor was sober, but he was up front. The disease would run its course, and very quickly the boy would die, probably in a matter of days. For a couple of days, the parents sat with their son, praying and hoping that, that God would intervene and do something miraculous. But the boy just got worse and worse, and finally, after a few days, they could see that his body was too weak to go on. It was in the middle of the day, and the boy's vision began to fade. And he looked up to his dad and he said, Daddy, it's getting dark, isn't it? And he said, yes, son, it is getting dark. He said, it's time for me to go to sleep, isn't it? He said, yes, son, it is time for you to go to sleep. The professor went on to explain that his son liked to have his pillow and his blankets arranged just so that he always laid his head on his hands when he slept. So he fixed his son's pillow and watched while the boy rested his head on his hands. And then he said the last sentence he ever uttered. Good night, Daddy. I'll see you in the morning. The little boy closed his eyes and he drifted off to sleep. And his breathing became shallow and just a few moments later his life was over. Almost before it began. Dr. Criswell said that man stopped talking for about 10 to 15 minutes. He said it felt like forever. He was looking out the window of the airplane for a long time. And then with his voice breaking and tears spilling onto his cheeks, he whispered, I can hardly wait for morning to come. I can hardly wait. I needed this series to be reminded what has the most substance in my life? Glory in my life. Is it me? Or really is it him? I'm telling you, it may be a little bit dark right now for any of you. But morning is coming. Morning is coming and it will break gloriously for those who have chosen to give God glory now. Listen to Isaiah. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal and your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you. I've got little to say to anyone here if you refuse to allow God to be full force on in your life. I really don't. But the angels have invited unless we prepare him room. He will not arrange anything in your life because he's just that gentlemanly. But the degree that we do welcome the almighty God into our hearts and love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Church, we will worship. 
and we will become what we worship. Father in heaven, we come to you thankful that you have been faithful to come be with us today. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. King of kings, Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty. Father, we have come to worship you. Here we are to worship. Forgive us when we go after other gods. Forgive us, Father, when we give other things the glory due you. We want to ascribe that to you now. Please receive it. Accept it. But transform us with it, please. Don't let us leave here the same. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If this morning you know that God hasn't been welcome to rearrange your life, to be the ultimate glory in your life, and you want to do something about that, please come find me. Come find one of our elders. If for the first time in your life said, I want to make him Lord, we'll see you baptized in the Christ today. If it's to renew him as Lord, please find one of our shepherds at the back or find me. But let's sing this song like we mean it, all right? Here I am to worship. Let's stand. Let's sing.